This is Tuned Into the Land, the California Rangeland Trust podcast. Here, we will dig into a variety of topics with the partners, conservationists, and ranchers who demonstrate every day, through their words and actions, the importance of conserving California's working lands. Tune in each month to learn more about our mission and how you can get involved in preserving the future of the Golden State for generations to come. Welcome to another episode of Tune Into the Land. I am your host, Michael Delbar, CEO of the California Rangeland Trust. May is Wildfire Awareness Month, and as Californians, we are all too aware of how wildfires affect our state each year and how devastating they can be. We used to have a fire season that took place in the late summer and early fall after the grasses and shrubs have dried out and before winter rainfall started. But today it feels like wildfire season has changed to wildfire year as we've seen heartbreaking destruction to communities and individuals across the state at different times of the year. As ranchers, we know that grazing and management of the land through tools like prescribed fire are essential in helping to prevent these catastrophic events from occurring. You may recall last year in episode five, we spoke with Livestock and Natural Resources Advisor Dan Macon. Dan runs a targeted grazing program that utilizes sheep and other livestock to help control noxious weeds and reduce fire fuels on the ground. Now we're excited to chat with folks that are on the front lines when it comes to fighting fires. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Chief Gary Whitson and Emily Kilgore, Fire Prevention Specialist of the Tuolumne Calaveras Cal Fire Unit. Together, we will be discussing preventative measures those of us in ranching and rural landowners can be doing to better protect our land and help keep our communities safe. Finally, we'll talk about opportunities for collaboration between landowners and Cal Fire. With that, I welcome Chief Whitson and Emily Kilgore. Hi, how are you? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Why don't you both tell us a little bit more about your roles with CAL FIRE? So I'm Emily Kilgore. I'm the Fire Prevention Specialist and Public Information Officer for the Tuolumne Calaveras Unit. My primary role is to provide community education um, and public outreach on just about any fire and life safety measure that occurs within the unit. So as we... um, evaluate like data and statistics and um, ignition starts and and what problems are occurring in our communities. I then develop a plan and go implement for education to try to reduce some of those statistics and ignitions. Chief. My name is Gary Whitson. I'm the unit forester for Tuolumne Calaveras unit of Cal Fire. And I'm also the division chief in charge of what's called pre-fire. Um, my program oversees all commercial timber harvest on non-federal lands, and we coordinate and implement fuels reduction projects in Tuolumne and Calaveras counties. So as we're all too aware, the number of wildfires that California sees each year seems to be increasing, and the number of communities that are in the wake of these devastating fires are having detrimental effects, both on people and on the environment. To you both, what are some of the contributing factors that are really making these catastrophic wildfires so much more prevalent over what feels like a longer fire season? You know, we're not necessarily having an increase in the number of fires. It's just a significant increase in the size and the destructions that the fires are having. 
I mean, we have a number of fires every year, but normally, you know, conditions aren't such that they're going to become catastrophic. Some of the factors that we've seen is we've been in a prolonged drought, which hopefully this year we're 247% of normal. Um, maybe we're out of the drought. And then we've done a really good job of suppressing fires in the past, which has allowed for you know this huge buildup of dense vegetation and fuels. And as a part of that, between the drought and other vegetation building up, um, our area at least has seen a significant increase in tree mortality, which is you know contributing to the available fuels. The other thing that we're seeing a lot more of is people moving into the urban interface, which, you know, for ignitions and just some other structural things, you know, changes how, you know, we can and will fight fire. Another contributing factor um, and probably the most primary factor as far as ignitions are concerned, um, when you couple all of the built-up fuels and the human influence and and um, the increase of people moving into the, the urban interface, you're also going to see an increase in ignitions because ni- over 95% of all wildland fires are um, caused by a human influence. Uh, less than 5% are, are caused by a natural cause such as lightning or volcanic eruption. So um, as people continue to move into those areas that uh, traditionally weren't habited by you know, a significant number of people, you'll also see that increase just because of the fact that people are there. So what do you see as some of the solutions to prevent the fires from occurring or or reduce the intensity of these fires, both on public and private lands? Well, the fuels reduction, you know, our department has actually went from reactive to proactive. We're heavily invested in doing fuels reduction, especially in our high fire hazard areas. we're working on constructing fuel breaks in key areas that if we do get a fire, it gives us a place to maybe uh, anchor in and stop it. And a big one is education, which is a big part of what Emily does is trying to educate the public on how to, you know, how to live in this environment and be fire safe. And then also how to, um, to prepare themselves if if they do encounter themselves in an emergency situation. But education is probably one of the number one things that we need to work on because what happens with people that are unfamiliar with being in a rural environment is they have an expectation that things happen the same way as the environment in which they came. And that's not necessarily true. So trying to change that that mindset of a personal responsibility to being fire safe is is probably one of the bigger key education messages that we try to get out. As I'm sure you two know, California Rangeland Trust is a rancher-led organization, and we have 371,000 acres, over 371,000 acres across the state permanently protected, many of which have been impacted by wildfires over the course of the years. When a fire burns through the land, what are the impacts to the soil and the productivity of that land? Well, the immediate thing that you're going to see is 
you know, and we've had it a number of times here recently, um, the fire basically denudes the landscape. So the next big rain that we get, the vegetation's not there to intercept the rain. So when it's hitting, it, you know, it actually bounces and it'll break up the surface of the soil and we'll end up getting significant erosion and runoff. And if the fire burns hot enough, it can actually sterilize the soil and create what's called the hydrophobic soil layer. Um, then when it rains, the water can't percolate down. It hits that layer and it basically washes the whole top, you know, the um, top soil away. And then, you know, it takes a long time before it actually can be, the soil can be productive again. Um, the other thing that we see a lot of is, is increase in invasive weeds. Um, star thistle and such, you know, it's a pioneer species. So when the vegetation has been removed, these just move in. Um, that's, you know, obviously for range, that's a loss of critical feed, at least mm -hmm. for that year. And if it's hydrophobic soils, maybe that's a loss for a number of years before the soil comes back. The other thing is loss of timber resources in the counties that we're in, you know, a significant fire is going to burn in the timber. And, you know, it takes 60 to 70 years for someone to develop their timberland into something that would be economical for them. And that can be lost in a day. Now, fire has a has its benefits, but that, it, as you mentioned, the intensity of those fires can be even more devastating. What role does fuel management play in minimizing the intensity of those fires? Fuel management in terms of grazing, for example. Well, with grazing, um, the fine fuels, you know, the animals are coming in, they're uh, reducing the amount of fine fuels and the height of the fine fuel. So, you know, surface area is a big part of um, the rate of spread for the fire. You know, this, you know, the more surface area, the more available it is for it to burn. So by grazing it down, you're reducing those. The other thing on grazing is that the animals will normally reduce the amount of uh, brush and type vegetation. And, you know, the ranchers are actively working to reduce the brush on their areas. Some people, if they don't understand that the use of fire can be a big tool in preventing fire, uh, it seems it could be confusing to some. How do you explain the difference between a prescribed burn and a wildfire? Well, with the wildfire, we've got no control over timing or the conditions when the fire occurs. And usually it's in the most severe, you know, late summer, low relative humidities, such. So it's extensive damage. With the prescribed fire, we get to pick, we're controlling it. Um, we control the timing and the conditions. And basically what we'll do is we'll develop a prescription which takes into account 
fuel type, fuel arrangement, slope, and kind of what our objectives are. Um, we're looking at relative humidity, temperatures, flame lengths, a lot of different things that we can control. Um, and if at any time one of those parameters goes out of our prescription, we can either put the fire out or, you know, cease ignition until it goes back in. And by doing that, we're removing the vegetation, the fuel buildup, so that it decreases the effects of a wildfire if it should hit. I know some of the challenges from a landowner standpoint is trying to find that, to do prescriptive burns, to try to find that optimal time. When the vegetation is dry enough to burn, so you're not just burning the fuel that you throw on there to get it started, but the conditions are also such that the air quality isn't as impacted as much. Then there's the issue of liability, and landowners have been very hesitant to to do control burns and lead those control burns uh, at the risk of being held liable should that fire get away. In 2022, Senate Bill 322 became law, and that changed the threshold for liability from a prepared prescribed burn uh, for negligence if it were to get out of hand. California Cattlemen's Association was instrumental in getting that law passed so that landowners can feel comfortable doing a prescribed burn, knowing that if something went awry, and it does on occasion, they would have some sort of protection. Can you explain better than I just did what this bill does? Well, with Senate Bill 332, like you say, it's given some legal protections to the folks that are using prescribed fire. Um, Previously, if your fire escaped, it's, it was assumed that it escaped due to negligence. It was just simple negligence that your fire escaped. The law now requires proof of gross negligence before someone can be liable for paying for the suppression costs. So an example is if now the wind, you know, an unexpected wind kicked up and they lost the fire, they could call Cal Fire and, you know, we would come help them with suppression and they, you know, they wouldn't be subject to possible litigation on it. Um, There are some things to be eligible under SB 322. There's a number of things that they've got to meet and I won't go through all of them, but, you know, the purpose of the burn has to be for fire hazard reduction, Um, ecology, restoration, cultural burning, or agriculture. Um, They have to have a burn boss look over and approve a written prescription, what I was talking about before that we go through. Um, The burn has to be conducted in compliance with that prescription. If it goes out like what I was talking earlier, that they do get a wind you know, they can't just continue to burn. They need to, you know, they need to do something about it. Um, that obviously they have to have the landowner's permission when they're burning. And it has to be in compliance with the Air Resource Bird, sorry, Air Resource Board permit. And if it's in burn season, a CAL FIRE permit. Um, But if they're doing that and a couple other simple things, you know, they would be protected under SB 332. 
that has made it, uh, as you described, a lot easier and, and a greater sense of well-being from the landowner standpoint. Have you seen that translate into more controlled burns? I haven't seen, you know, an increase in control burns yet, but I'm currently working with a group in Tuolumne County who's developing a private burners association. They're looking to, as a group, um, plan and burn on each other's properties and such. So, you know, Cal Fire, to a certain extent, has been trying to help them get started. But their goal is at some point they'll be doing these burns independent of Cal Fire. Well, you've been doing those burns on one of our landowner partners, Mike and Julie Sardella. Can you explain what the program has been that you've utilized on the Sardellas Ranch? We developed what's called a vegetative management plan on the Sardella property. And, you know, to step back, Cal Fire can't work on private property unless we enter, enter into what's called a cooperative agreement with the landowner. We can't just come out on your property and burn or manipulate the vegetation without that. Um, so they entered into the vegetative management program with us. It's a 10-year agreement with the Sardellas, and you know it allows us to be able to go out and burn and even do mechanical work and such on their property. I know when we spoke with, with the Sardellas, they talked about not being able to get to the back part of the ranch because it was so overgrown. And the activities that Cal Fire has performed out there has allowed not only them to walk it, but obviously wildlife to get out there and walk it as well. What do you see are the benef- other benefits to besides fire control and fire prevention to doing these types of burns from a land management standpoint? You know, obviously our primary goal on all of them is fuels reduction, but there's a number of other benefits that we do get. Um, We increase wildlife habitat and, you know, our goal isn't to completely do, uh, you know, convert conversion we want to be doing you know mosaics where the brush stays fairly heavy in some areas some areas we eliminate all of it and it creates a much more natural environment so wildlife habitat is greatly increased um A lot of times after the burns, we're actually increasing water availability and productivity. And the big one on the um, sardellas was the the invasive species, the plants. They had a medusa head in their grass and, you know, Himalayan blackberry. And Himalayan blackberry is considered the most invasive non-native shrub on the West Coast. And it forms these large impenetrable thickets that nothing else can grow. So, you know, if we do these burns in the correct time, um, a good one, I would say, is the Medusa head, where a lot of the grasses have already cured, but the Medusa head hasn't went to seed yet. If we burn right then, we can 
you know, eliminate or at least reduce the Medusa head. And with the blackberry, if we burn it at the right time of year, we can actually, you know, eliminate or at least reduce the Himalayan blackberry. I know when those blackberry thickets go up, they really go up. Those are hot, hot fires. Yeah. <laughs> the work that you all do at Cal Fire, all all firefighters, whether they're with Cal Fire or local or, or other state agencies, is so critical. Yeah, but it, it's also dangerous and it takes a lot of training to do it and do it right and do it safely. Besides the vegetation management plan at Sardellas, you also use that exercise as an opportunity for training. Can you explain a little bit more about that training program? Well, we were talking earlier about, you know, other benefits of the VMP process. Um, Training actually is a huge benefit for our department on Sardellas. um, It's sometimes it's the first experience that these folks have with live fire actually happen to be at the edge of the flames and such. It also, you know, backfiring has been a big deal for us. You know, we like fire to fight fire. And this is a training of showing people the correct ways to light fires that we can control. And there's a number of different patterns and such that we can take out and in a controlled environment, teach our firefighters, okay, this is how you would do these backfires or this is how you're going to suppress this and such. And it extends even beyond our firefighters. Um, We, you know, we use these VMPs for helicopter training. The helicopters will come in and they'll use their terror torch on a VMP or you know, to control the fire, they may be coming in and actually landing and building, you know, a hand line, you know, in a controlled situation. Um, we do a complete dozer academy on VMPs where we're going out and they're learning how to put in a fire line. And in the process, they're also doing fuels reduction during the Dozer Academy. That is a huge part of that cooperation for us, is Sardellas are allowing us to be on their property and train in a live situation. How do we get landowners in the state involved in these types of programs? Whether it's the one you're doing now uh, with the, the, the group or programs such as the Sardellas have taken advantage of? Um, most of our VMPs, um, we go to the landowners. We have, you know, either one of our battalion chiefs or one of my resource management people will identify a key area that we feel we want to do fuels reduction in, and we'll actually approach the landowners and see if they're willing to work with us, let us enter into this VMP with them and do the work. Um, but there's no reason that a landowner couldn't contact myself or my department and, you know, ask if, you know, we would be willing to meet, you know, go into agreement with them. And if we see a benefit to the state, then there's a good chance that we would, you know, 
work with them and develop a VMP on their property. Is there a cost to the landowner for participating? You know, there used to be an in-kind. It used to be that, you know, the landowner had to either a monetary or they had to do a portion of the work or such. But a few years ago, that was eliminated from it. Now, you know, our department takes all the cost. So I kind of want to clarify a little bit, though, because part of his question also incorporated the Private Burners Association, which is a a different program. Um, And once that kind of uh, model gets established, the criteria in which those types of groups enter into properties to do that kind of work, um, their their criteria may be very different. Um, So for a a vegetation management um, program project, there, there has to be a state benefit and it's typically very strategic um, in its prescription, it, it, not every landowner landowner that wants Cal Fire to come do work on their property would necessarily get that because it there has to be a mutual benefit. It can't just be I want the state to come work on my private land. Where with a private burners association, um, once they as an association develop their criteria in which they'll work, there may be a little bit more flexibility amongst those members that are doing that work to accomplish some of their land management goals um, separate from the CAL FIRE program. See, and what I'll jump back in on this is like with Sardellas, they're going to be a good example is what we envision is having a VMP such as Sardellas that the private burners association comes out and assist, you know, maybe the first time through they're just there observing and we're kind of explaining how we're doing this. Um, as long as we're working on a property, we have to have that agreement. Um, doesn't matter if we're, you know, if we're working with the private burners association or who, we have to be doing it under one of these VMPs. Um, but once they've got their feet on the ground and are comfortable to do it, then they would be independent of us and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't need our assistance. But I mean, we could, we could provide them with an engine as you know, and just monitor what they were doing, but we wouldn't be an active participant in that at that point. So it's kind of, I, I just wanted to clarify that it's kind of, we're talking about two totally different programs. Um, once the, the private burn associations, cause you're, we're seeing them pop up all over the state, but it is, it is a, it is a different program than the Cal Fire VMP program, which is what's being implemented on the Sardella property. No, thank you for that clarification. That's that's very important. There was a question on what can inhibit someone from getting involved in the VMP process. And one of the things that comes up with that is people think that by going into cooperation with us, they're giving up control of their property. And, you know, through the whole VMP process, if someone says to us, I no longer want to do this, we're immediately, I mean, we're not going to 
you know, continue to do the VMP on their property. Or before we'll go out and burn, we'll call the landowner and let them know we're coming out on your property and we would like to burn. We'd like to put fire lines in. And they have ultimate control of what goes on on their property. We are a guest on that landowner and we're never going to be doing anything that they don't authorize with us. And that's really important for me to get out there because I think a lot of people don't enter into the VMPs with us because they're afraid of that. Chief, I think that's an excellent example of an effective public-private partnership. You know, when our staff attended the burn training at Sardellas last year, they spoke with Battalion Chief Paul Carpus, and he said, the ranches where you can see that the ground has been worked and managed are the ones that you show up as a firefighter and say, this is where we can effectively and safely fight a wildfire. So in your opinions, what makes fighting fires on well-managed ranches different than landscapes that have not been managed? There's a number of reasons on for that. One is most ranches are going to have a well-developed road system. This allows us to access quickly and to anchor off that road to start fighting fire. It also will allow us, we can use roads as natural fire breaks, but we can also put our dozers or sub, you know, and increase that. Um, you know, we talked earlier about grazing, reducing the fine fuels, which reduces the flame links and the rate of spread. And with that, and fire intensity goes down, and we can usually stop the forward progress and contain the fire. Uh, what I spoke about earlier, where grazing also helps reduce brush, brush encroachment, and you know the ranchers are actively trying to, you know, reduce their brush so that they have more graze. Um, lot, most ranches have developed water sources such as ponds and such. And when we show up out on a fire, you know, we've got 500 gallons in that uh, engine, but we're always looking for a water source to be able to tap into. And ranch ponds and such are a huge source for us. In an unmanaged property, not, not only will you have the buildup of the fine fuels in the brush, but your, you know, your roads aren't gonna be in as good a shape and you know, it's a lot bigger issue with just trying to fight the fire. You know, conditions are gonna be a lot less receptive. And you'll see a lot of times on bigger fires, we'll have safety zones or even staging areas on ranch property because these are the areas that we know that fire intensity is gonna be reduced. Sounds like a great argument to increase grazing on some of the state lands as well. And it's a, and a little frustrating because I totally com- and completely agree with you in regard to the stock ponds and the use of those for fighting fires. We see that every time there's a wildfire, where's the first place the helicopter goes to dip is that closest water supply. And those ponds are critical for that. Yet other agencies in the state and create disincentives for the establishment of livestock ponds. And so it's, I think we as a state need to understand the importance for our firefighters like you folks and, and how important it is to have those supplies out there. That's just a, 
my, my two cents in, in this discussion, you know, we at California Rangeland Trust is in the business of keeping these open spaces in the hands of ranchers. Uh, so to you, why is it so important that these open spaces are managed properly by experienced stewards? Well, if the ground's not being managed, there's two things that's going to happen. It's either being neglected and the brush and such is going to just, you know, the fuels are just going to keep loading up. Um, and, you know, instead of being an area that we can anchor in and actually stop a fire, it can become an area that we're going to struggle to be able to contain a fire. Uh, the other one is, um, if they're not being managed for grazing or such, most likely it's going to be developed. And, you know, if in a developed area, our priorities have to shift. Um, we're doing evacuations and we're protecting lives and homes and such, and we're not being able to put the resources towards actually stopping the fire. So those would be two reasons to me that, you know, it's important that we keep the ground in productive range. It's that rural urban interface that you spoke about earlier on the conversation. Yeah. So what are some of the things that landowners can do to help prevent or prepare for a fire season? And is this the right time of year to be doing that? Now's the perfect time to be doing it. Um, some of the different things I would just, I'll jump around a little bit here, but during the fire season, they need to have a cache of tools for themselves because, you know, if they start a fire or see a small fire, if they've got tools to put it out, um, you know, we'll keep it small. And, you know, we always recommend that in their pickup or even in their, on their quad or their side by side, that they just have a back pump and a shovel. And then, you know, obviously you don't want to be welding or grinding during, you know, the heat of the day during the summer and such. But if you are, you know, do that 10 foot minimum clearance around it if you have to do it. Um, prior to the fire season, construct fire breaks adjacent to the public roads. You see a lot of the ranchers, you know, they'll come and they'll take a dozer or their tractor and they'll just do a fire break just inside their fence. Uh, like Emily said earlier, 90% of our fires are man-made and you look at a lot of them come off the roads. And for their interior roads, if they're clearing their ranch roads of vegetation, not only is that creating a natural fire break for us, but if the roads are in good shape, it's going to give us a chance to, you know, more rapidly access the fire. And another one is just right now develop a plan prior to the fire season of what they're going to do if they do have a fire on their ranch. Um, how are they going to evacuate their livestock? You know, can they move them into an area to shelter in place or are they going to have to try to truck them out? And what are they going to do with their equipment and such? And just kind of have a plan of if, you know, if a fire starts, you know, where they're going to go and how they're going to deal with it. And uh, I, I would say you, the, part of the question was, um, you know, what time of year should you be preparing? And uh, like you indicated uh, at the beginning of the podcast, 
we don't have fire season anymore in California. We have a fire year. Um, so always being prepared and taking some steps and just understanding that we live in an environment um, where, where fire is a natural part of the environment. And so always having that in the back of your mind and not forgetting. So even when there's snow on the ground, what are you thinking about to do as soon as you have the ability to get out on your property and work? Um, so it, it's a year round thought process, not just a season or preseason process. So Chief Whitson, Emily, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We want to thank you both for the time to chat. And like I said earlier, we as landowners and any citizens of the state of California are truly indebted to Cal Fire and all your all your firefighters and their service to the people of California. We it means so much to us to know that you're out there and we hope that you stay safe in this upcoming season. And of course, we appreciate all you do for all the landowners and people of California. If you want to learn more about these programs, reach out to your local CAL FIRE unit. You can find their contact on the CAL FIRE website, fire.ca.gov, and you will find listings of the regions and the units there. Ask for the resource management chief to learn more information in your area. Remember to be vigilant this fire season and prepare for the season by grazing and clearing your property. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast today. Thank you, thank Michael. You. Have a good day. All right. You know what to do. Be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe to be notified when the next episode will be released. This is Michael Delbar, and we'll talk to you again next time. Mm-hmm.